Welcome to K-Explore's Emerging Research. We're focusing on research that's happening right now. It's science so fresh, you haven't even heard about it yet. I'm Stacey Cochran. And I'm Kim Winslow from the Knowledge Exchange. Today, we're talking with Brady Campbell, a new assistant professor in the Department of Animal Sciences in the College of Food, Agricultural, and Environmental Sciences. Welcome, Brady. Howdy, folks. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for coming, Brady. We're so excited. Brady, it's really interesting. You joined CFAS last fall. That's correct, right? Correct. And it looks like you're in high demand as the only small ruminant specialist in the college. Kind of a one-man band, if you would. That's right. (laughs) You're already working on several research projects that we're really excited to talk to you about today. But first, we have our get-to-know-you question. This is a surprise. Uh, I was going to preface it with, you can't hurt yourself, but I decided to take that off. Forget it. We're just going to ask the question. What extreme sport have you always wanted to try? Ooh. Oh, goodness. That is a good question. Um, well, growing up on the family farm, we always had the availability to, to four-wheelers or quads, right? Oh, and so I, I've had some friends that have actually been involved in some GNCC racing, which is the Grand National cross country series where they've actually raced at like a semi-pro level. And we went to quite often a few summers to go and support him. And we were more or less a modified pit crew. So uh, <laughs> I, I think, I think doing something of, of that nature, but it takes a lot of guts and uh, oh I've gosh. not broken any bones in my life and never really wanted to. And no. I know a lot of those folks that do that, uh, go through that quite often. So if I could do it wrapped in a bubble suit, I think I'd be racing full wheelers. <laughs> right. I'd be right yes. there with you oh my gosh that's amazing <laughs> guarantee what is this top speed that they can go oh boy on some of those flat straight stretches i mean upwards of 60 80 miles an hour if their bikes Ooh. are tuned in so oh my gosh yeah oh my gosh i would be in my helmet with like tears streaming down my face <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> terrified Certainly. yes terror pure terror no but that's that sounds fun <laughs> So, um, Brady, you're doing some interesting work with sheep nutrition, forages, and solar operations, and meat quality. Can you give us a quick overview of just some of your emerging research projects? Uh, Most certainly. And so I I think one of the big questions that we're seeing in the small ruminant world right now is just the pure demand. And of course, with that comes with folks wanting to get into the industry right here, right now. And what do these animals eat? And I think that's a a really important topic that we need to cover. There's some specifics that we'll kind of get into today, but just overall basics of nutrition, how to read a nutritional analysis report, as well as our forage reports, because we can make hay all day long, but if it isn't of quality, our animals can't utilize it effectively and efficiently. From the standpoint of solar grazing, Ohio is slated to have several thousands of acres being put into solar development and then trying to figure out how we're going to put this land back into use, not only from the standpoint of producing electricity for our consumers, but also how can we uh, get an agricultural commodity from those areas as well. And then finally, thinking about our our lamb or small ruminant prices, both for lambs and kids at the marketplace right now uh, are substantially quite high. And so how can we better fit the demands of our consumers at the moment are all very much so questions that I'm really interested in, kind of a smattering of, of different topics, but all related back to something that I hold very near and dear to my heart, which is small ruminants. Brady, if I could have you train all of our researchers on an elevator pitch, I would do so right now. That was a fantastic. 
Yeah, that was a, fa- a fantastic encapsulation of uh, three different uh, research projects that you have going on right now. So thank you. I want to actually dive into each of those individually, if I could, and ask you a few questions. Yeah, most certainly. Um, the first one is we're, we really want to talk about this um, skewing of sex, if you will, skewing male versus female. Uh, and so it's it sounds fascinating. I love that this idea is actually based on some evolutionary theory. Uh, the idea that if a mother is in excellent health, that she's more likely to have a male. Her health essentially signals that there's plenty of things to eat or plenty of other available resources so that it would be better to have male offspring, basically so that her deeds would spread further. Is that basically what what the idea is based on? Correct. And that hypothesis is the Trivers-Willard hypothesis that you've basically described and it's really based upon what you said as resources out in the environment thinking from an evolutionary standpoint from the wild counterparts if a flock or a herd out in the wild uh, has plentiful resources they can use those excess nutrients to produce more males but in times of nutritional stress or resource stress or lack of resources um, they may be encouraged to produce more females because a lot of the females that are currently in that flock or herd uh, may perish due to the lack of resource availability. So why is that, uh, using that um, idea, why is that important here? What did you use that for when, when launching off into this research question? It definitely came from everyday talk with our producers. And, and really when I'm approaching a lot of my research questions and my hypotheses, I want to relate it back to the producer as, as much as we possibly can. So going out on farm, going out to these talks and interacting with producers and asking them what they need us as the university to provide to them. And this really stemmed from questions that I was getting from, from our producers here in the state of Ohio. Uh, we've got different segments of the small ruminant industry. Of course, we've got our club lamb operations producing those weather that are going to be shown as 4-H and FFA projects at the fair. On the other hand, we've got those folks that are dealing with purebred genetics where they're trying to conserve the breed and also exemplify the genetics they have within the, the flock as well. And then lastly, we've got those folks that are involved in the commercial industry, and they're really interested in producing those commercial type of replacement females that they're either going to retain back into their flock or be able to sell as a product from their operation. So what exactly are you looking at for their nutrition to make it look like there are more resources available for that mother's body so that it does trick her system into skewing male or sure. Sure. So we're feeding different diets. And I think what we really need to focus on is too oftentimes folks read a feed tag label and what is feed really labeled or base priced on. And that's protein because protein is going to be our most expensive piece of the puzzle when we look at a nutritional diet. But in reality, our animals are in need of energy to a greater extent than when we compare it to protein. And so really trying to see how different types of energy may affect, um, the 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 sex of these animals that these these females are having so in diving into some of your work i was reading a little bit about um polyunsaturated fatty acids or pufas can you dive into a little bit of that 
Yeah, definitely. And I think why we kind of went that direction is that I've been working a lot uh, with one of my colleagues here in the Department of Animal Sciences, Dr. Alejandro Relling, and he's very much so interested in fetal programming and some of the uh, materials that he's looking at or using in these diets are these PUFAs or polyunsaturated uh, fatty acids. What we know about PUFAs is that they're extremely energy dense. They're naturally occurring. And what do I mean by naturally occurring? We can find them in our vegetables, our grains, and plant-based oils. And then we can also find them in fish fat as well. Um, from the human health aspect of it, we know that there are a lot of benefits associated with PUFAs, such as anti-inflammatory responses. And there's also some antioxidant uh, properties to these PUFAs as well. So there's a lot of research that shows that there's a lot of health benefits for humans. So we're just taking a lot of that information and bringing it into the livestock sector. So then putting those two ideas together, this idea that the mothers, you know, uh, need a little bit more energy possibly to help determine sex on the other side, and then also the great benefits of these PUFAs. Are you finding that adding PUFAs into the mix are having any impact? Has this research started? Uh, what do you What are you finding? Yeah, so we really based a lot of our work on a, a paper that's been published a couple of years ago that did demonstrate that those females that were fed a diet that had PUFAs in it, or supplemental PUFAs, I should say, compared to the control diet, had, tended to have a greater proportion of males compared to females when compared to the control group. And so our project is currently underway. We've got our, uh, what we did basically is that we did a flushing diet. And what do I mean by flushing diet? We're just simply increasing the amount of energy in the diet. So hopefully those females will have a higher ovulation rate, have a higher conception rate, or a more successful conception rate as well. So we've went through that process. We've done a couple of pregnancy scans. A lot of our ewes conceived during our very short breeding window that we had. Uh, a lot of them uh, are doing quite well. So hopefully we'll have several lambs on the ground within the next month. I love the nutritional aspect of it. Um, speaking of nutrition, if we could talk about your solar forage uh, project that you're working on. So you did mention that there's a lot of land in Ohio that's going to be converted to this utility scale solar systems, right? So farmers don't want to lose that land and they're looking at what they can grow underneath the solar arrays. Uh, what, what is typically grown in a solar grazing system? There's two options for our solar systems from a commercial standpoint that, that, that I've at least been exposed to. I should correct that and say three. One of them simply just gravel or barren area. And of course, when we start talking about uh, effects of the environment, specifically erosion, that's probably not in our best interest. The others are going to be some type of ground cover, whether that be in forages or some type of pollinator habitat, both of which have a really important role in our ecosystem. But from the standpoint of how we want to incorporate livestock uh, production into these systems, we're really honing in on uh, the aspects of forage and forage quality. And so, I mean, a follow-up question to that is, are these uh, producers who are installing these solar systems, are they, do they already have livestock? So they're just looking at this as another way of utilizing those fields two ways, both for their livestock and for energy production? 
I've not seen any statistics on that, but I would uh, almost venture to say that not many of them have livestock experience, especially due to the location of these solar arrays being placed in. A lot of our very uh, tillable type of grounds, so more in our northwestern region where we think about crops, whether that be grains or foragers or anything of that nature. So really thinking about where these solar arrays are going into, and it's really our crop production ground. So not many have any type of livestock experience. If they do, it's at a very small level. So I think that's kind of where the challenges are coming into play. Those crop producers are kind of switching gears. They're producing two different types of products that they've never produced before. Energy uh, through the solar panels and then potentially a secondary product of, of meat through our livestock species that we may be grazing underneath the panels. And then if you want to talk about a third product, if we're able to produce forages and, and make hay under these areas, that could be another product they could produce. That's great. And that just helps them with some of their um, generating income on their farm by diversifying what, what kind of um, products they're producing, crops, livestock, etc. Most certainly. Well, and I think a really exciting aspect to this too, if I remember correctly, part of where the idea for this research came from was a study out in Oregon. Is that correct? Correct. Where we, you were looking or the researcher was looking at the impact of growing forages underneath the solar array, because these, I mean, these spaces are huge. And so although the forage, uh, basically the amount was not nearly as much as you would see in an open field, the nutritional quality of those forages were enough to sustain an animal population as though it were an open field. I, am I interpreting that correctly? Most definitely. Yeah. Yeah. And so when you talk about amount of forage, just uh, from the standpoint of animal nutrition, we're talking about dry matter availability, because when we're formulating our diets, obviously animals will be eating in terms of dry matter availability that we're providing to them. So uh, they don't have the level of stress always being exposed to the sun because you've got two different products or entities that are competing for the same energy source, and that's the sun. So yeah, definitely spot on with your interpretation. So that's an exciting possibility. Uh, because if we're looking at that around here, then not only, I mean, Stacey, that's actually why I was asking the question, because you could actually not only have that solar array, which I know is just, you know, one of those topics up here in Ohio, you know, losing that land, so to speak, is something that's so emotional for a lot of our producers. But if we have this as an option to fall back on, we could still be producing forages and we could be producing animal product. So I, I wish you the best of luck in finding this, this research. Thank you. And then, so our, I mean, obviously the, the benefits are that they do have an, an another uh, avenue for revenue. Uh, but what are the costs then that they're, they'll be exploring or you'll be exploring as part of the um, study? Certainly thinking about uh, cost of production, uh, how much more is it going to take in terms of being able to make this a feasible and usable type of systems? Um, generally, these panels are fixed, and there are also going to be some other materials associated with not only building the arrays, but maintaining the arrays. So how are those producers going to work around those areas? Of course, if we've got a thousand acre array, we can't just assume that we're going to turn the sheep out into there and they'll be able to sustain themselves readily. 
we have to have a water source. We actually should be rotationally grazing those sheep through those pasture systems uh, as well. And then also we need to think about both the producer and the animal safety from that standpoint, because it is needs to be treated as an area that's uh, very commercialized and generating power. So there's going to be some costs associated with it, but I really think those benefits come back to the amount of uh, variety or diversity that we can generate from a single you know unit of land compared to one product in the past to potentially three different products today definitely when you think of some of the impacts that we've had on uh, global prices for different products and if you are a, a one crop or two crop uh, farm family what happens when those prices tank uh, to add some diversity to your portfolio of products that you're producing definitely makes sense um, you do you have collaborators on this project? Yeah, we do. Uh, I've been working really closely with a lot of our extension educators, so the, our boots on the ground, if you would, and those folks that really have been quite involved in it, and they've welcomed me with open arms. I'm very thankful for that. Uh, we've got Eric Romich, Christine Gelly, uh, James Morris, just to name a few of those educators. And then we've also got some uh, counterparts that are supporting us from the industry side, some folks with Savion, who's a renewable energy uh, generation company as well. I love hearing all those names. <laughs> right. We we love those collaborations with Extension and Christine Galley. We're featuring her in an eFields product. So I'm very excited to hear that she's involved in this as well. I mean, I feel like we're just running through these uh, projects, but we have so many great things to talk about. So I wanted to ask about your final research project. You are collaborating with quite a few people on this last uh, last project to improve the marketability of Ohio and American lamb. Uh, what kind of approach are you taking to this big topic? Uh, it's definitely a unique approach, I would say. And, and from the standpoint of where I like to do research is kind of taking a bird's eye view. I'm very systematic when I take a look at a lot of these projects because there are so many different variables involved in a lot of our on-farm applications and, and research projects. So I think that when we start to hone in on a single variable or even just two variables, we become very narrow-minded. And so we've put together a really nice crew of people that are involved in different segments of the industry and what we want to do is kind of spearhead this head on to take a look at every step of the way uh, from the farm level to asking the questions of what are these uh, producers in the state of Ohio producing? Why are they producing it? And then following it through the production chain, where is it going? And then ultimately, whose plate are these products ending up on? Because at the end of the day, when we're talking about livestock production, regardless if it's uh, for companionship in terms of livestock, right? Or even uh, fiber, milk, or meat, all of them are going to end up on the rail at one point or time. So we have to consider food safety, food quality, nutritional benefits, all of those different uh, facets of food animals. You bet. Uh, looks like recent market polls show that lamb is increasing in popularity. With so many different breeds and lots of different cuts of lamb, it seems like producers have a slew of options when choosing what to produce. Um, how are you hoping to help yeah, definitely. And I don't want to discourage anybody from raising the sheep that they like to raise by by no means. I myself, a fourth generation shepherd, and we've got several different sheep breeds and we enjoy raising them because we enjoy the, the heritage of the breeds and the different attributes that the breeds bring to the industry itself. But really trying to understand what the main goal or the end goal of our producers are. If they truly want to be involved in the commercial uh, market in terms of producing these commercial slaughter type of lambs, 
we need to try to improve the consistency and muscling of these animals in order to ensure that we're producing a consistent product at the end of the day. And you mentioned that Lida Garcia was involved in this project, correct? You bet. Okay. Um, I know because she has um, talked to us before about her interest in making sure that 4-H members learn about what goes into a quality product, um, what they need to do to raise an animal that will produce quality meat products. Exactly. And it starts right there with our youth, you bet. Right. I Yeah, that actually made me think about, because Lida is the one that was teaching us earlier, that there is so much information that goes into raising that animal and how much impact it has on the quality on the other side. But our system is kind of set up, right, you know, where the farmer will hand off that individual and it's kind of cut off from what the quality or what that product looks like on the other side. And so continuing that educational process, it sounds like is a big part of this project too. Um, Most definitely. Just to remind the producer. So you're looking at specific meat qualities for marketability. Are you helping livestock producers figure out what they need to do in order to get that higher level of quality? Yeah, and again, we're really going to be focusing on the producer level, trying to put some surveys out, really asking some of those questions of what they're producing, why they're producing it, and how they're producing it. From a systematic view uh, of managing these systems, as you guys just noted, Dr. Elida Garcia says that there's so many different factors involved in um, changing or skewing the quality of these meat products. So we need to think about the housing, the management, the nutritional aspect of it. Uh, everything at the farm level can really either positively or negatively impact the overall quality of that product. So I know that's a lot to kind of take in, but we're going to start on small steps to kind of start pinpointing some of those areas. And once we're able to pinpoint these specific areas, if there's a need for any type of extension education or training opportunities, we'll step back, intervene with those needs and address those needs of our producers in order for us to kind of move on in that production cycle. So you're doing an, an audit of farms or producers in the area? Is that the setup for this particular project? Uh, m more of a, uh, uh, of a survey to see kind of what these are. And then if it does lead to some type of audit, the more the merrier. I think that would also help us improve or increase uh, this marketability of these animals. You know, who knows? At the end of the day, after all this is done, we may be able to be able to put some type of stamp or seal on it saying that these individuals have gone through our program and uh, this lamb has been produced in this manner. Right. That standardization uh, would really, yeah, help marketability. That makes a lot of sense. And so we've been through uh, three of your different research projects. All of them are super exciting. Um, I, you know, I know I'm biased. I love research, but this is really fun. This is really helping our Ohio population with opportunities economically, uh, opportunities to take advantage of different situations, especially with this uh, solar energy opportunity. So can you give me a sense of timeline across uh, your research Certainly. When we talk about skewing the sex of the conceptus, uh, our major goal is to have that data analyzed here uh, by early summer and really want to hit the ground running and implement that for our breeding season here in 2022. So a really quick nice. turnaround for us. So uh, yeah, the farm crew and myself, as well as Dr. Relling, will be quite busy out there, not only <laughs> counting lambs, but seeing who they are and who they belong to. So that'll be kind of a quick, hectic turnaround, especially for about 80 
use lambing in about a um, ten day window. So yeah, we're gonna need uh, pictures. We, yes, we gotta yes. send us some pictures. <laughs> Most certainly, we'll do. We'll do. I think it's gonna be longer in terms of the the solar array. We're just now getting started. Of course, it's been quite. Uh, it's not new in areas such as the West Coast as well as the East Coast. But but once we start moving towards the Midwest, I think there's a lot of other barriers and challenges that we need to consider. We're just now beginning. Uh, my hopes is that we'll have something certainly in play within the next two to five years. And I understand that's a large range, but I think that's being hopeful that we'll be able to produce some really good uh, data that will be able to be utilized. Sure. And then for our survey work, uh, I think that's going to come in bits and pieces, especially when it comes to the training parts. Uh, within the first year, we'd like to have those individuals identified and try to mark out the needs of our producers. And then, you know, within the next three years beyond that, we'll be able to implement a lot of those types of training sessions to really greatly improve our production systems here in the state of Ohio. That's exciting, Brady. So, I mean, I'm hearing, you know, within the next five years, you're going to have quite a bit of information to provide, you know, across Ohio, but especially this small ruminant uh, producer population, which, you know, is, is exciting. I think that's great for Ohio. And I just need to mention after talking with you for uh, quite a few minutes here, that if the whole uh, sheep research thing doesn't work out for you, you definitely could get into sports announcing. So I feel like you have the voice for that. You could even bring that to some of your research projects. You know, do some I, live <laughs> announcing. <laughs> well, good. I've been told that I can maybe do some auctioneering when I get a little started yes. where I'm from, too. So that oh is gosh. option number two. So <laughs> hopefully, goodness. hopefully we'll stay with research. But if not, catch us on the auction block. There we go. I Always have it. to have a plan B. That's right. <laughs> Dream big, Kim. That's what that is. Go. Hey, wait, it's are you about... are you telling me something? With I that? am. It's time for oh, our yeah. Dream Big segment. Oh, my goodness. This is my favorite. Crowd noise. Uh, Brady, if you had unlimited resources, funding, time, support, people, what big question would you like to research? Very, very interesting question. I've been mulling this around because I expected this question to be on Good. the forefront of our discussion <laughs> today. And again, from me being this systems type of view individual, I'm going to go from the really big picture side of things and really improving the overall production efficiency of our small ruminant operations. So I want to lump both our sheep and our goat operations into one. Uh, recently, there's been a huge demand and increase in information in terms of intensively managed or housed types of systems. Systems for our sheep and goat operations. Uh, there are three P's in the small ruminant industry that we always talk about. Predators, parasites, and people. So if we're able to put our sheep and goats indoor, we get rid of two, right? And then we only have to manage one. But the one is going to be people, and that's going to be probably one of the most challenging ones that we'll be faced up against. But really thinking about how we can improve the overall production of the American sheep flock. Uh, currently, our lambing rate in the U.S. is 107%. So to break that down, that means for every 100 ewes, there are 107 lambs born. Uh, in my opinion, that's quite low. That's quite poor. But if you compare it back to probably the eastern United States, our lambing rate is probably 150, 170%, which means for every ewe, we're having a 1.5 to 1.7 lambs per ewe. So really thinking about improving the efficiency. I think the dairy cattle people have got it going on. Uh, they have uh, really reduced their inputs in terms of feed costs, and their individuals produce more milk. Why can't we do the same thing for our sheep and goat operations? I think that's a 
I mean, not only it's a lofty goal, but I think that's a commendable one. So then who are you hoping to bring on your team if you could choose anyone? Um, there's certainly, and uh, I, I think there's a, a great number of people. I think uh, I would be remiss not to mention all the folks that have helped mentor me through all my degrees. So doctors uh, Steve Moeller, Monique Paris-Garcia, Francis Fluharty, Tony Parker, all those individuals really helped shape and mold me into the researcher uh, that I am today, really helped guide me to tell me how to really ask those important questions and how to analyze data. There's also a, a number of people here at the university that I would like to get involved. There's also uh, several professors across the, the Midwest that I would invite. Uh, Dr. Scott Bowdridge at West Virginia University, uh, Dr. Uh, Richard Earhart at Michigan State University, and Andrew Weaver at North Carolina State University. And there's also countless numbers of extension agents that would also help us in this goal. Um, again, Christine Gelly, her and I work really close together with our sheep operations, and uh, Susan Schoen, who's an extension agent over at the University of Maryland. So a very tight-knit group, and I think it's very tight-knit because there's not a lot of us involved in the sheep industry, but I think it's one, or sheep and goat industries, I should say, but it's one that is growing quite quickly at a rapid pace. You could make it a whole regional project at that point. You bet. Exactly. Definitely. I noticed that too. Yeah, that's exciting. Brady, it has been such a joy having you on the podcast today. We've talked about three different projects that you have going on that will help producers throughout the state not only talking about solar arrays and forages underneath, but also talking about marketability and about potential uh, conceptus sex skewing uh, that will end up helping overall with making sure that this is a profitable and viable market moving forward. So thank you so much for joining us and having this conversation. I look forward to seeing what you are able to accomplish in the future. My pleasure. Anytime. I never turn down the opportunity to talk small ruminants. That's great. And you will have to come back and tell us some of, of the results, some of your findings when you're all finished. Uh, we look forward to that information as well. Thanks again, Brady. Thank you. And thanks for listening to K-Explore's Emerging Research. Want to explore more fresh research from the College of Food, Agricultural, and Environmental Sciences? Visit kx.osu.edu.